was thinking uh, this week about uh, kind of looking through the eyes even of my own children, but remembering back to being a little boy and uh, my mom making me take naps. And uh, that used to make me so angry as a, as a little kid. Uh, I, I see it in my own kids. There's something about before a certain age, you will never, ever, ever, no matter what, admit that you're tired. I don't know what the age is, but there's some age in there as a small child. You'll never, no matter how exhausted you are, admit that you're tired. It's just like whenever it's time for a nap, it's no, I'm not tired. I don't need to take a nap. I don't need to take a nap. Uh, my son Quinn was that way. And you just had to still him for like 10 seconds and then he'd be out. But he'd be denying it all the way up until right when he falls asleep. And so I remember as a kid that my mom would say, well, it's nap time or it's time for you to take a nap. And you would protest and say, I don't want to take a nap. And and what I remember very vividly is like cousins or aunts or uncles or different adults would be around. And without fail, whenever that happens, some adult will say, well, I love taking naps. Right. And if you're a little kid, that just like makes you more angry. Like, well, great. Good for you. Right. Some adult always says that I love taking naps or if I could take a nap, I would take a nap. Right. And I remember people saying that to me as a small child. And then fast forward 25 years later. And now I'm the person saying that. Right. Whenever that comes up, I'm like, I'd take a nap. That'd be great. Like uh, it actually got with my kids, Quinn in particular. He would protest taking a nap. I'll take one with you. Right. And we'd go lay down in his bed and I'd be asleep in like two minutes. Right. Like I'd be out. He'd still be talking and wiggling around. And uh, one day I'm completely out within two minutes and he grabs my face and he shakes me. And he says, stop it. And I said, what? Stop what? He went. (laughs) I was like, yeah, okay. Stop snoring. I can't go to sleep here. And so. But it's true, like as you get older, the idea of taking a nap is glorious to me now, right? I now understand why all these adults would say, I want to take a nap, right? If I could take a nap, I would. And so maybe uh, every month, maybe once a month, maybe every other month, everything aligns perfectly and I get to take a nap. You know, every once in a while on a Sunday afternoon, there'll be nothing going on and uh, golf will be on. And so I turn golf on and I'm asleep and like... 30 seconds. It's the way they talk. It's great. I love taking naps when I get the opportunity. I just don't get the opportunity much these days. Uh, The same is true for all of us as far as I think you would agree with this. To be able to take a nap or to have a day that comes up that you don't really have anything on your schedule or maybe it's a holiday uh, or you've planned some kind of trip or, or just getting away for a day or two. It's really difficult with our busy schedules today for that to happen or be able to take place. And so when it does, it's a glorious thing. Every once in a while, Joanne and I will be talking and we'll say, It'll be a Friday night, what do we have tomorrow? i will be like, oh, well, there's no soccer. There's no, we don't have anything, right? We don't have anything scheduled. And it's like this triumph of, yes, we don't have anything we have to do tomorrow. But those are so few and so far between. And it's so hard, it's getting harder for us a lot of times in our culture with technology, with our phones, with email, with always being reachable to truly be able to rest. It's a difficult thing. We get so busy that it becomes so rare. The idea that there's a day that we don't have anything planned is like, oh, that would be wonderful. And so it's a difficult thing. And so this morning we're going to talk about that very idea of resting. Uh, Hebrews, we've been talking about, if you've been here with us, the book of Hebrews walks us through this idea in a lot of ways. We said one of the themes that's over the book is it's written to the early church that's struggling with all kind of things swirling around them. And so part of a big theme of Hebrews is this journey from weariness to rest. 
truly being able to rest. And so we've been talking and thinking on that in big pictures, but today we're specifically going to look at that. And we're going to look at it at the end of chapter 3, and then a lot of chapter 4 of Hebrews is where we're going to look. And the questions I want us to ask as we do are simply this. Why are we not resting? Or why is it so hard? And there's a couple different reasons that are here. But why is it so hard to rest? Secondly, what would it mean or what would it look like to truly rest? And then lastly, how in the world do we get there? Right? So uh, why are we not resting? What would it look like? And then how do we get there? So let's pray first and then we will look at that idea, that picture together in Hebrews. God, we pray this morning that you would lead and guide us through your spirit, that you would lead us into all truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you as it tells us right here that it is living and active and that you show us and you teach us and you correct us. And so we ask that you would do that. I pray specifically right now for brothers and sisters that you've brought here together today. Many who can't rest for whatever reason it is, whatever's swirling around them, whatever's going on, I pray that as we look to you and what you tell us, that you would truly give us the ability to rest in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So let's just start with why we're not resting. Resting. And when we look, look at it and we begin to think of it, there's a lot of reasons we could say it's a multifaceted thing here. We talk about, uh, if you were with us last week, we were in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 3. And what we talked about is how Jesus is better than Moses. And that's a theme that runs all the way through Hebrews. Jesus is better than Moses. We've looked at he's better than the angels. We've looked at that he's the perfect and full and better high priest. And so we run through all these things all the way through Hebrews. And so last week we were looking at Jesus being better than Moses that was here. And so what I want us to see is as we progress through the book, he starts to go back and talk about the people that Moses were leaving or or leaving, leading out of Egypt uh, into the promised land and how they rebelled and the things that went on. And so look at what he says there in verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom he has provoked for 40 years. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And then he'll say it in a little bit later. He'll say almost the exact same thing in chapter 4, that they're unable to enter because of their disobedience. And so the first thing I want us to consider and think about of why we're not resting, and one of the first things I want us really to look at is this idea of we're not resting because of disobedience. Because we're not being obedient to what God has told us. And so it gives us a very literal, practical example of this from the Old Testament. They came out of Egypt, they saw God do many miraculous signs and wonders in front of them, and then they get out and then what did they start to do? They grumble and they complain and they talk about how they'd rather go back to Egypt and all these things that are there. And so what it's talking about, what it's pointing back to is God says you're not going to enter the promised land. This generation is not going to enter and the reason you're not is because of your disobedience. And so they wander in the desert for 40 years as that generation passes away before they will go into the land. And so there's a very uh, literal thing he's talking about here. They didn't enter into the promises, the place that God was taking them because of their disobedience. They came out of a place, a land where they were in slavery in Egypt. 
And God brings them to this new land where they're not going to be in slavery. They're going to have freedom. It's the land flowing with milk and honey and all these promises. But they don't get to enter because of their disobedience. And so in a very, very real and literal sense, we oftentimes are not resting because of the consequences of our sin. There's sin and struggles in our life that are manifesting that keep us from really resting. I want you just to think about that picture. You could fill in the blank with all sorts of things. But if you break the law and then you go to jail, you're now taken from your home and where you live and put into confinement, it's very hard to rest in that environment. Right? There's very literal consequences to things in our disobedience. And so he's talking about that here. He's kind of alluding to that, that they didn't get to go into the land because of this. But there's also something underneath that. There's deep spiritual implications underneath our disobedience that keep us from resting. Consequences of our rebellion. And yes, there's literal consequences that come, but there's also things that happen spiritually. Our conscience bears witness. Romans 1 tells us it's hard to have peace when we are going against what God has told us. We're basically going against the grain of the way God made the world when we we are disobedient to him. And so there's a part of that that's our conscience. And so when we rebel against him, there's things that happen. I was trying to think of a good example, and this is one that I thought of that that will pretty much get all of us, I think. The Bible tells us that when we have an issue with someone in our life, that we should go to that person and address the issue with them. If something's really bothering us, we're not getting along, maybe you've heard rumors this person doesn't like you or this is going on or they said this or they said that, the Bible says you go to the person and you address it, especially within the church as believers. We're to go to one another and address these things directly together. But what often happens is instead of addressing the person, we go and we talk to other people about the person. Did you hear what so-and-so said? I think they're upset. I think they maybe are saying this because I think maybe possibly they mean this. And what happens is we turn that over and over and we talk to different people and we get different advice and we do all this stuff. And the whole time there's no rest in that. We don't really know what's going on. Nothing's really been uh, resolved. And we just keep going around and around the issue when if we would just go to the person directly and do what God tells us, it would be a whole lot better. And I say this because I've done this a lot. I know I should go talk to someone and I go around and around and around and I talk to other people and I'm miserable for a week. Right? I'm not resting. I'm struggling with it. And then I go to the person and they go, oh, I didn't say that. That's a total misunderstanding. And I just spent a week worrying over something that wasn't even there. Or I go to someone that I need to confront because I see something in their life that needs to be addressed and I'm scared to death they're going to be upset. And I go and I say, I see this and I need to say this to you. And they go, yeah, absolutely. God's been convicting me of that. Thank you for asking me that. And God works and does these things. But you spend all this time not being able to rest because we weren't just obedient to what God told us to do in the first place. Now, by the way, sometimes when you do what he tells you, And you go through it, it doesn't work out great. It's not always perfect. There are times it's really hard. But how often do we go round and round just because we're disobedient? Because we don't even do what God told us to do in the first place. 
And so we don't rest oftentimes because of our unbelief. But then I'd say we also don't rest simply because we're just too busy. Right? Even my example at the beginning of just being able to take a nap or just having a day when nothing's going on or one of those things and how rare it is. Right? He says right here uh, in chapter 4, in verse 4, it's going back to G, or, uh, God at the beginning of creation. For somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way and God rested on the seventh day from his works. Right? And then he goes on to talk about the Sabbath later on. God commanded us at the very beginning of all his creation to begin our week, to begin our time from rest. If you've ever heard that before, it's unique to think about it, but God uh, created man on the sixth day. Right? The earth is filled, it's ready to go, and then he says, okay, day one, the seventh day of his creation, now you're going to rest. We, we are to start from rest, but oftentimes we look at it as that's completely optional, I'm not going to do that. And we get so busy and we go and we go and we're so overextended. And then we kind of uh, push that off to the side. Well, I don't want to be legalistic. Right? We're in the New Testament. You don't have to keep the Sabbath. You don't have to. Do, do you understand what the Sabbath was meant to be? God lovingly telling you, you need to stop sometimes what you're doing and rest. Right? Because he loves you. He's going, you're getting so overextended and so busy and all these things, you just need to stop and rest. And the truth is that we get so busy, we just don't do that. Oh, i got too much going on. I can't do that. I'm still going. And so we don't rest simply because we don't rest. We don't take seriously making time to stop what we're doing. But then lastly, I want us to think about that, yes, even when we literally rest, sometimes we're still not truly resting. And what a, the way I would say it or the way I want us to think about it is, is our work underneath our work. Our motivations of our work. Uh, our internal what's going on in our life. Our conscience and what's happening and all that goes on around that. How often have you set aside time where you go, yes, I'm not going to work today. I'm not going to worry about these things. I'm not going to do that. And you're physically not doing the things, but your mind's going a thousand miles an hour of all the things you've got to do. Or, or you're not working, but the whole time you're not working, you're thinking, man, this is putting me really behind because I'm not working today. Right? And it's going and going and going, and it's on and on and, oh, I can't. Right? And you can't really rest. You don't really relax. Look at what he says in verse 8 of chapter 4. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Right? He just quoted right before that uh, David Right? He's quoting the Psalms, and then he says, If Joshua had given them the rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. He's talking about that quote from David who came after Joshua, if you know your Bible. David came later. And he says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever's entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so what I want you to see there is he's talking about Joshua. If you know who Joshua is, he came after Moses. Right? They weren't allowed to go into the land. Moses isn't going to lead the people. Moses died. Joshua comes next. He leads them in. And he says, if Joshua had given them rest, well, Joshua did give them rest. He took them into the promised land. They're there. They took the land. They won the land. They're now there. They're no longer in slavery. They have the societal rest. They have the actual place. But he says, Joshua didn't give them the full rest. It's the work underneath the work. 
Yes, they got into the land, but there's still all kinds of stuff going on that we're not truly resting. And that's the same for all of us. So often we do that. We go round and round of, of not truly being able to rest. We think of ourselves as far too important. If I stop working for a day, everything's going to fall apart. And so we don't rest. We continue to turn things over and we continue to do that. Often struggling with with what we have to do, kind of making a name for ourselves, all sorts of different things that come into play there. And so all of those are ways we don't rest. We don't rest because of disobedience. We don't rest because we don't actually physically rest. But then we don't rest even when we're physically resting because of what's going on internally. All the things that we're dealing with. And so how do we truly rest? Or what does it look like? What would it even mean to truly rest? And so simply, we'd say, well, one of those things is we do actually need to physically rest. Oftentimes we think of spiritual, physical as two things that don't ever really meet. But they're intricately tied together. All of our life, all of it, our emotions, everything we're dealing with is tied to our physical rest in a lot of ways. And so we need physical rest. If you don't believe that, come to my house this week, first week of school, and watch my children around bedtime. They're a disaster. Emotionally, all over the place, they're falling apart over the craziest things because they're exhausted. And so we do need physical rest. That's certainly part of it. But there's something underneath that that's far greater. Oftentimes we're seeking to prove ourselves, which leads us to not rest physically because of what's going on internally. Right? I can't stop my work and what I'm doing because I'm so busy trying to prove myself in all these different ways. And the Bible tells us this. It tells us very clearly that we're continually seeking to prove ourselves. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Scripture tells us we've all ignored God, we've all sinned, we've all not measured up, and that our conscience bears witness and tells us this. Read through Romans 1, that whole picture. Our conscience bears witness that we haven't done the things that God's created us to do. And so often we haven't followed through, fallen through on all those things, and so we continue to strive and work and do things to seek to make us feel better. If I get a lot accomplished, if I do all these things today and I get my whole checklist done, I feel better about myself. Look at what I did. Wallace and I were talking yesterday about how we kind of like mowing the yard because then you get done and you see what you did. Right? It's very satisfying. There it is. Look at how nice it looks. Right? I've accomplished this. I've done this thing. You may not think of that as a gospel issue, but part of that is tied to trying to prove yourself. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. And because of that, we have this deep spiritual ache in us that manifests and never really feeling satisfied. And we stay busy doing all these things. And it makes it very hard for us to rest. And so whenever something in our life becomes kind of out of whack or there's a problem, relational, whatever's going on around us, it's very easy to not rest. Is that not true? Think of relationally different things in your life. 
We think, well, I'll rest when I just get everything in order. Right? And so, uh, for example, you blow it with a friend. Maybe your spouse, maybe a close friend, maybe it's one of your children, and you're just ugly. You respond in a way that you know you shouldn't, and then it really bothers you. You ever have that? You say something really poorly, and you go, oh, that was terrible. The worst is if you get in a fight with your spouse, and it's right when you're going to bed, and then you lay there, and you're upset, and it's like you physically now can't rest because of what's going on internally and all these things. Right? Or what we do, go back to my example before, we're supposed to go address it with a person. We know we're wrong, but this is how we often work. I'll go talk to somebody else about it, and then as I talk, I'll start to justify myself. Well, I kind of had a good reason for saying that, right? And all the while, we're not resting. We can't really rest because it's not in, in the right order, and we know it. Or the flip side of that, you're deeply wounded by a friend. They do that to you. And you're angry, and you're hurt, and you're frustrated, and you want them to come and say they're sorry, and you want everybody else to know what they did to you. Right? Because you were wronged, and it was their fault, and you want people to know that. And until that's set right, it's hard for you to rest. Or you start to get over it, and then you run into the person, and it starts all over again. Right? And we struggle with these kind of things all the time. We go through this. Or I know this one to be true. I know it because we have it all the time in our own congregation right here. Every church deals with this. But when things are not going well in your kid's life or your loved one's life, something that's their, it's not even your struggle. You're good. Maybe your relationships are good, but your kids are a mess. And you can't rest. Right? You love them so much and you want those things to be set right and to be fixed and to be put in the right order. And you can't get there. Oftentimes we fall into thinking, if I could just get all these things in order and just get them right, then I'll be able to rest. How's that working? Anybody got there yet? Because if you had, I'd love to meet you. Although you don't want to meet me because now I'll be in your life and I'll be all messed up now. But... The truth is we always have these things all around us. And so the answer is not that we get everything in the perfect order and every relationship right and all these things taken care of. The truth is we can't do that. So how do we get there? How do we truly rest? How do we ever get to that place? The problem in all these things when we talk about it that way and I need to fix this and I need to do this and I need to keep working and I need to stay busy and I need to accomplish this. In every single one of those, we're the center of everything that's going on. If I can just do this and I can just do that and I can just keep working and I can get this done and I can do this, then everything will be all right. And as long as you keep doing that, you're never, ever going to get there. Here's the problem we have. All of us, every person you know, we have a do-to-be mentality. I do this, and I get it in an order, and everything will be okay, and then things will be all right. If I do this, then that. Right? That's, that's the way we operate. That's our sinfulness tricking us. It's our sin nature saying you're the center of the whole world, and you've got to fix everything. And so we often work that way. 
We think if I can just get everything in a right row, row, then it'll all be perfect. Oftentimes we dress it up in more spiritual language than that. Right? I'm a mess and everything's all messed up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure I get to church and I'm going to be in a Bible study. and I'm going to start sharing my faith and I'm going to start doing this and I'm going to start doing that and then everything will be good. Who's at the center of that? It's a little more spiritual sounding, but you're still putting what you do to who you are and making that correlation right at the middle of it. And when we think that way, that I'm going to do these things, and I'll do this, and I'll do this, I'll do this, and then it'll be good, we're misunderstanding who God is. Like, I can do enough things to reach a holy, perfect, majestic creator, sustainer, redeemer of the world. If I just get these things in order. But that's often how we think. And so how do we get to actually resting with all the stuff that goes on around us? Look at what it says in verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. On its face, you read that verse, you take that and rip it out of context and put that on your refrigerator. That's not going to help you rest. What it says is God knows all your mess. There's nothing you can hide from him. He already knows. He knows the way you've wronged people. He knows the way people have wronged you. He knows how you're trying to control your kids. He knows how you're working to try to say, look at how good I am and look at what I'm doing. He knows all of it. Every bit of it all the way along the way. And if you stop right there, there's nothing good about that. It's just really terrifying. If you read Psalm 139, that's actually what it says for the first like eight verses. Where do I go to get away from you? I go to the depths and you're there. I go to the heights, you're there. I go wherever and you know all of it. And if you just take those few verses like that, it's terrifying. There's nothing that God doesn't know about me. But it's not just that verse. It's verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you hear what he's saying? We went over this just a couple weeks about how Jesus is our perfect high priest. The high priest comes to be your go-between between God and man, our sinfulness and God's perfectness, and Jesus has done it. And he says, yes, he knows everything about you and all your mess and all your mistakes and all the reasons you're not resting, and that's why he came. To become your perfect high priest. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. Hear what he's saying. God knows that you're not resting. He knows that you've got all this mess. He knows all those things. That's why you look to Jesus. I told you, Hebrews just says this over and over. You're not sure, you're not seeing how this works. You look to Jesus. He's done it for you. 
And so all the things that we think we need to control to make everything right, this do to be, if I just do this, then everything will be right. And Jesus says, ooh, wait a second. You're a sinner and you're dead in your trespasses. And while you're dead and while you're laying there in the grave, I came and I laid down my life for you and I give you my righteousness. It's not due to be. It's done through Christ and this is now who you are. Forgiven. Completely made new. His righteousness for you so you get to rest in that in everything that comes at you. When you blow it with your friend and you go, I got to get everything together, doesn't so go apologize to the person. You do what scripture tells you to, you be obedient and then you rest that you are forgiven. Jesus has already forgiven you. It's gone. It's, it's wiped away. Or when you struggle with, man, that person, they owe me. And I can't rest because this isn't right and they're getting away with it. Paul says, don't you remember that was you? God forgave you? He's given you all those things? We say it in these terms all the time. You're not, we're not trusting that God's great, that he's sovereignly in control of all things. Right? He says, I know. I know you were wronged, and I know this happened, I know this went on, and I will take care of it. You rest in who I am. Or the things that we go around about, our kids. Oh, but what if this happens? What if this, God's going, uh, I got it. Right, give it to me. You can rest. I am in control. You be obedient. You do the things I've told you to. You keep trusting me. You keep walking with me. You keep looking to me. And I've got all this other stuff. And so when you see that, when you see the end here of, of verses 14 to 16 and who Jesus is and what he's done for you that you can draw near to him at all times. It doesn't matter the circumstances around you. He's still in control. You can still rest even when everything's a mess. Even when you're going, I don't know about this. He goes, that's okay. I got it. Look to me. Right? My favorite passages in the Bible are in Hebrews. Look to the author and perfecter of your faith. He says, I got it. You can rest. You can stop striving to make it all about, I'm going to do this and then it will be this. He says, I've already done it. You just rest in me. It's the only way that we get rest. It's only in Jesus and what he's done for us. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you know us to the depths You know our sin and our rebellion and the things that we're trying to control and that you love us. That you came and you laid your life down for us despite all of our mess and all those things and you've restored us to you in relationship that we can come directly to you, that we can draw near with confidence and find grace and mercy because of what you've done. And I pray that you would just impress that upon our hearts today as we leave this place. I know there are many sitting here that have all kinds of external things that are robbing their rest right now. And I pray through your spirit that you would point them to who you are and the way you love them and what you've done and that you would give them rest in Jesus. 
We pray all of this in his wonderful and precious name. Amen.